Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu and I'm here to take you on a journey. I'm going to condense some history. In this occasion, I'm going to be condensing a lot of history from multiple continents all into one overall genre. Now, I believe that this is going to be called the Dynasty Warriors Edition, but actually I'm going to be talking about three different types of video game that all have the same context and is definitely worth talking about when it comes to history because this time round I'm going to be talking about ancient Chinese history I'm going to be talking about the Middle Ages in Europe I'm going to be talking about World War II and I'm going to be talking about the validity of source material when it comes to understanding history I'm even going to be mentioning things like the American Civil War. So this is a huge, massive topic that all starts off with Dynasty Warriors, which if you know anything about it, go, well, I get that's the Chinese one, Jem, but where did the rest of this stuff come from? Trust me, come with me on a journey. It's going to be worthwhile. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. So, if you don't know what Dynasty Warriors, or Dynasty Warriors, depending on how you want to pronounce it, by Koei, there's going to be a lot of bad pronunciation in this particular episode. I'm already going to apologise for that. Sorry. So what it is, is a video game where, for most of the versions, and believe me, look, the very first Dynasty Warriors came out in 1997, and it's a series that is still going today. There have been multiple numbered versions of Dynasty Warriors, but also there have been various spin-offs and sub-games and etc. So it, it all gets a bit complicated. But the, the core of the game is you are, in essence, a super warrior. And it's one of the rare games where rather than having different levels, Rather than going from one area to another, in essence, what you are is this mega champion in a field of battle fighting hundreds of lesser enemies. And then, of course, mixed in there, there's going to be like an enemy general where there's going to be tougher fighting. And it's a power trip. 
And if you like, a lot of video games are about a power trip. Some some really interesting video games are about showing you the problems or implications of your choices. And different video games, like movies, like TV, do different things. But a lot of video games are about making you more and more powerful so that you start off relatively weak, but by the end of it, you are an all-conquering hero, the champion of the world type thing like Final Fantasy VII, like Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, and in this case, like Dynasty Warriors. So what's the setting? I get the idea that, you know, you're a big champion fighting away. Well, this is all around the era called the Three Kingdoms in China. And the Three Kingdoms in China is a very, I'm going to use the word romantic period in Chinese history. There are a lot of comic books, TV shows, movies, video games, etc., all based around this era. It's, I guess, a little bit like some of the cool Roman stuff in Europe. It's just one of these things where culturally in China, it's referred to an awful lot. A lot of the major players are sort of household names. Everybody's heard of these generals, even though we're talking about, well, roughly 1,800 years ago. So it's actually from the late Han period. So there was actually a unified empire called the Han Empire in China. And that basically broke down, give or take, roughly round about 200 AD. And then we've got a period of civil war lasting for decades, literally, as you've got these three different territories vying for control. And there are sort of these epic names, as I said, that have echoed down the centuries. People like Chen Shao, Cao Fang, Liu Biao, and Lady Zhen. You know, there are a few girls in there too. And I think this is where I'm going to compare it a little bit to Arthurian legend. Ordained by heaven, this boy is our king. Well, by Jove. What's the lad's name? Arthur. Hail, King Arthur! Hail, King Arthur! In the sense that Look, I am not convinced there ever was a King Arthur. Hail, King Arthur! But if we're going to talk about a local Briton fighting the Saxon invaders, that was a thing that happened in the 5th century AD in Britain. But I don't believe there was an Arthur. Hail, King Arthur! But if you like, it's an era that's become a legend, and it's the same thing with the Three Kingdoms. And if we take someone like Cao Fang as a, as a real general, as a real person, he existed, but we're not quite sure what he looked like. And his stories in this period of, of fighting have become legends. And so when you've got dynasty warriors, where literally sometimes you're one of these generals that really existed, quite literally swinging a boat around to kill people, that didn't happen. It's awesome. It's a fun video game. And actually, Dynasty Warriors, I think one of the complaints are, if you've never played any of them, buy one that's a few years old, don't have to buy the latest edition, and go at it. Because if you play one of the games, you're going to think that it is amazing. The problem is, if you keep buying them, well... They're all basically around the same era in China, so you don't get a huge amount of... You, well, let me put it this way. In one game, you'll get quite a lot of different scenery, but you're going to be playing the same battle again and again with slightly better graphics, be it the PlayStation 2 version or the PlayStation 5 version. So, yeah, the graphics improve, but there has been criticisms that it, it hasn't really evolved, and I, I take their point. And indeed, they've taken their point, as I'll come on to in a moment. But if you like, this 
is the problem with with the game because you're playing a video game which is already not meant to be taken as a historical documentary also this is a japanese koei is a japanese company it was published and written uh, produced in japan japan is certainly not the same thing as china so you've got another country telling your stories of legend and while you could say they're reverential to it in the sense that they're showing it to be fun and exciting and awesome they're certainly not worrying about historical accuracy and also you're not kind of in control of your own national story anymore now whatever you may think of that you might turn around and say well it's all in asia what do we what do they know but koei produced years later while they were still producing the dynasty warrior ones they also produced blade storm now blade storm is not a well-remembered game but i certainly remembered it because i like history and you know i played a few dynasty warriors and it's like oh this one looks interesting and as i've just said with the dynasty warrior ones you've got people literally walking around with boats you've got people leaping into the air impossibly high you're swinging their sword so fast it gets turned on fire you know th this stuff has more in common with i don't know lord of the rings than it does with actual history so it put a big smile on my face when i found out that blade storm well it wasn't set in china wasn't even set in feudal Japan. It was, however, set in feudal Europe. It was the Hundred Years' War, done anime style. So if you wanted to portray Joan of Arc as a cute young girl, do you know what? That's historically accurate. She was dead by the age of 19. And indeed in the game, depending on which side you're playing, you can actually end up saving Joan of Arc from being burnt at the stake. Now that I don't mind too much about because obviously in a video game, you're gonna have choices and some of those choices will not be the same as what actually happened in history. But the whole style of it is very Japanese and very anime. Now, if you don't know what I mean by anime, I mean that all the guys are kind of moody with big floppy hair or big spiky hair, one of the two. The girls are all kind of coquettish and have huge eyes and long flowing hair and they're sort of very problematic. They're kind of young but also sexualized as well. And to be fair to their portrayal of Joan of Arc, at least all her armor covers her body. As we'll talk about the next one in a minute, you'll you'll see this is just really weird and incongruous. But the Black Prince is there. The Black Prince is the son, the eldest son of Edward III. Now he actually died before Edward III died. And some people have said he's the greatest King of England that never got to be King of England. And there's no doubt that the Black Prince was an amazing warrior. Whether he would have been a good legislator, who knows? But nobody's quite sure why he's called the Black Prince before anybody thinks it. No, it wasn't because he had sort of African heritage in any way. One of the best theories is that maybe he painted his armor black, but there's no evidence of this. So it's all just theoretical. But of course, this is a video game. So Bladestorm doesn't care. He's got the black armor. And is it historically accurate to the late 1300s? Absolutely not. But does it look cool? Absolutely. So if you like, this is another example of a video game company taking real history and turning it into a fun video game. Bladestorm is old. I'm going to say it's at least 10 years old now. It's obviously aged graphically, but you know, it's slam bang action, a bit like Dynasty Warriors. So then we're going to move into another series. Now, this one is not done by Koei, but this is done by Sega. Sega! 
And full disclosure, I'm playing the fourth one at the moment, and it was actually that one that made me sit there and think, hmm, this kind of reminds me of Dynasty Warriors, Bladestorm. I think we should pull these together and turn them into a podcast because there's not going to be a lot of podcasts about this kind of content, like particularly Bladestorm, which, as far as I can work out, didn't sell well enough to get a sequel. So then there's Valkyria Chronicles. There's actually four of them, and it's the fourth one that I'm playing at the moment. And this one is set in Europe again, but this is still very anime, very manga, and it's clearly World War II, but we're not going to call it World War II. Now, this is obviously a little problematic for Japan because Japan were the allies of the Nazis. So the fact that this is in Europe means that they can separate Japan from all of this. But also, this isn't 1939 Poland. Indeed, the years are slightly off and you've got things like the Galleon forces. That was not an army in World War II, but clearly it's a reference to the Allied forces. And there's the Army of Edinburgh in the fourth game. So yeah, you can see that this is clearly leaning on World War II, sort of, but you're gonna be going, Gem, I, I, I want more proof. Well, you want proof? Go and have a look online of the tank that the main hero is driving. It is clearly a Sherman tank. It's a Sherman tank with a weird paint job and with extra bits of armor slapped on it that are not historically accurate. And so now we're into yet more of the fantasy stuff. And if you like, Valkyria Chronicles as a whole is about as historically accurate as Dynasty Warriors, as Bladestorm. But it's okay with Dynasty Warriors because we don't really have lots of pictures from that era. And because it was so fantastical and because if you keep hearing stories from the records of the Three Kingdoms, then you, you kind of know these stories and some of them have been exaggerated. And there's even one battle where one of the generals was badly wounded and still managed to slow down an entire army. Now, is that a huge exaggeration? Probably, but it is in the Chronicle. So let's turn that into a bit of a video game. But it suddenly becomes quite jarring when you've got teenage girls in their sort of little school skirts firing mortars in World War II. It's like there were women on the front line, but they were pretty much all Soviet soldiers and they certainly didn't have little skirts on. Again, the women tend to look girly girl, which wouldn't be appropriate in a combat setting under any circumstance. But then you've got some of the guys as well. There, there are different character classes in it. And if you like the, the heavy machine gun guys, the heavy gunners, their uniforms don't even look close to anything in World War II. They've got these big clanking plates of armor. Their guns look similar to stuff from the 1940s and indeed 1950s, particularly Soviet style. But nobody wore big plates of armor in World War II. That just really wasn't a thing. So Algeria Chronicles, by the way, it is gorgeous. The artwork is done like it's watercolors and pen and ink drawings. It looks gorgeous and it is a great game. Unlike Dynasty Warriors where you just run around hitting things, this is actually turn-based. So you can only move somebody so far and they can only fire once or you have to use up another one of your turn points to move them again, but then you can't move somebody else. So, you know, it is very strategic. Do I move? Do I shoot? I might be able to hit that guy, but then I'm standing out in the open and my guy's going to die as soon as there's the enemy AI's turn. It's genuinely a challenging, fun game. And if you like that kind of thing, and if this sounds beautiful, 
I would urge you to play it. But is it historically accurate? No, not at all. And that's where we're going to get into the history side of things and why there's a bigger conversation to be had about this. You know, it starts with a video game, but then it goes into real historical issues. Okay, so before I launch into all the historical issues, I'm going to say it before, I'm gonna say it again, please help spread the love. This whole condensing of history and comparing it to pop culture, I used to do in another podcast called Neon. I'm incredibly proud of that one, but that one got thousands of downloads. This one's only getting hundreds, so I know there is an appetite for this kind of content. So please tell somebody, give it a review on whatever podcast you're actually listening to this on pod app, whatever. Please do that. Spread the love. And also feel free to talk to me. Have you played any of these games? Have I made you intrigued to try any of these games? You can reach me on at GemDaduchu on Twitter. There'll be a link below somewhere. Okay. So with that in mind, let's get into the history side of things. Because if we go to the records of the three kingdoms in China, this was actually written down at the tail end of this era. In other words, it's a contemporary chronicle. And the actual book, The Records of the Three Kingdoms, is a Chinese historical classic. But really, almost all of the written evidence comes from that one book. So how biased is it? What did it miss out? What did it exaggerate? What biases are there? This stuff can be very, very hard to unpick. I mentioned Lady Zhen. There are several other important women in this story and they sort of fade out. It's the typical patriarchal bias that you get in historical chronicles. Like, oh, this woman was important to this man. This man's not in the story anymore. I'm not going to write about the woman either. Okay, well, it would have been really nice to know what this woman who had huge amounts of power, what happened to her next? She didn't evaporate, but what she did do is have some other part of the life. I mean, was she assassinated? Did she remarry and have kids? Did she fall from grace and end up being a peasant? We just don't know. But because of that, that adds to the mystery of a lot of these women, as it's then a case of... Well, you know, because the historical records didn't say anything, we will now turn it into this epic story of espionage or romance or love. Believe me, this era of Chinese history has a cottage industry in Asia, a bit like something like the Tudors in Britain. It's only a hundred years of British history, and yet it's regurgitated again and again and again. I'm Fun fact, I only found this out recently, but there is an actual recent musical. I mean, it was created within the last five years of Henry VIII's wives. It's called Six because there were six of them. And as a bit of girl power, I'm really, I'm not making this up. Check it out online. As a bit of girl power, it's the story of the six women, you know, from beginning to sometimes terrible end. And as almost like a, a cocking a snoot to Henry, he's not in the musical. This is a female-centric, female-casted, female-written-and-directed stage musical. Uh, I commend that. If it's your kind of thing, you know, listen to it. There, there are lots of fun. But, I mean, it's a bit like Dynasty Warriors in the sense that they're not standing there in historically accurate costumes. They may have a ruff on, but it's covered in glitter. They're wearing shades. And they've got studs on their dresses. It's like, you look cool, but that is not what... Anne Boleyn would have worn 500 years ago. Sorry. 
But anyway, fun musical, but it does show you that there are some bits where you, people never get bored of going back to it again and again. If you look on IMDb, for example, who has the most screenplay credits? Is it someone like Aaron Sorkin? The answer is no. The answer is William Shakespeare, because his plays are constantly being revisualized and reinterpreted and modernized and all this kind of stuff. And so pretty much every year, there's five or six movies loosely based on Shakespeare. And of course, the other thing, great thing about Shakespeare is it's everyone's heard of it. Everyone's heard of Hamlet, but it's not copyrighted. So anybody can use that. So you've got something like that just regurgitated again and again. So it's not just China. Every country has its era or its writers or its bit of history or legend that just keeps being reinterpreted over and over again. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So therefore, I want to talk about the Valkyria Chronicle side. So just keeping you up to speed, that's the World War II one says Jem, realising that's got two numbers in the same sentence. But anyway, so what this is about, the problem here is with World War II, there is tonnes of documentary evidence. There is lots and lots of actual documentary footage. 
we can see literally some of the battles that have been written about and we've got endless amounts of transcripts of. And so then there are still people alive today who were in World War II, just about. I've been lucky enough to meet all kinds of veterans from World War II. Obviously, some of the people in my family were veterans of World War II. And so, yeah, if you like, this is still living history just about. So therefore Valkyria Chronicles comes out and it's like, well, they haven't even tried to be historically accurate. But we know where they're making creative choices. But with something like Dynasty Warriors, we don't know where they're making creative choices. But here's an interesting question for you. Now that I've told you about Dynasty Warriors and the records of the three kingdoms in China, are you interested? Are you going to have a little dig around? I, I haven't actually named the three kingdoms yet. Do you want to find out what they are? Because at least it's starting to give you something. It, you know, it's like, I want to do Chinese history. Okay, well, there's there's about three and a half thousand years of it. Where do you want to start? Uh, don't know. Or at least here's, here's a starting point. Here's, here's somewhere to at least get in, into it. And I'm going to argue that's always a good thing. If you like, one of the points of these podcasts is... If you were to ever use them as a resource to write a university level dissertation, you're doing it wrong. OK, this, I'm not the guy to go to for that. But if you want to hear some interesting stuff from history and maybe point out some fun pop culture, well, welcome on board. That's what I'm here for. And I hope that there have been a number of times, and I, I know for a fact I've had this from several different people online, that I've started a journey that people have gone, OK, I wanted to find out more after you talked about that thing, Jem. And then I went there. So if Valkyria Chronicles is a way to talk to a younger generation about World War II, where, you know, maybe their dad walks past the TV screen and goes, is that a Sherman tank? Well, Sherman tanks didn't really look like that. Let me show you what a Sherman... And, and now we're into you know, a little topic about armour in World War II, which is a very important conversation. And it made me laugh that when the bad guy in Valkyria Chronicles 2, or one of the bad guys, turns up, he couldn't have been more manga. He had this flame red hair. He had this huge, cool trench coat on. He was sort of like laughing maniacally on the top of his panzer tank, which had flames painted on them. Now, some World War II aircraft had extra painting on them. You know, if you like, a famous example would be on the side of B-24s. They would have sort of paintings of girls. Sometimes it might be the, the girl back home. And, you know, sometimes you had like tiger mouths or shark mouths painted on fighter planes. Yes, there was a little bit of that going on. But I know for a fact there is no evidence of that on any kind of tanks. Tanks generally were either painted a kind of dull grey or they were painted some kind of camouflage colour, but you're not going to paint cool flame effects on them because they're relatively slow moving and quite often they needed to hide from aerial reconnaissance. So having them as gaudily painted as possible, that's just not a thing. Although, although fun fact, in World War One. There was a period, and if you don't believe me, it's called multiple things. Well, one of the things it's called is dazzle camouflage. But basically they got cubist painters to paint insane geometric patterns on the side of warships. And the idea was that these were so garish and so weird as to kind of confuse, particularly U-boats, which direction is it going? 
you know, also it's sometimes hard to make out the silhouette because these bright diamond black shapes painted on the side of it. So is it a cruiser? Is it a battleship? I can't quite tell. It's hard to work out even the size of this of this ship. It's a really clever, creative, artistic thing that you can you can see pictures of. And I promise they're, they're not fakes, they're not forgeries. Genuinely in World War One, they were getting Cubist painters to design camouflage outfits for World War I battleships. Amazing fact there. So yeah, so it did appear on some vehicles, but it absolutely did not appear on tanks in World War II. Sorry about that. But as he arrives, oh, and the other thing that happens, of course, as he arrives, the tank sort of zooms over a hill and gets some air. You know, a 40-ton tank is now gets some air and then lands and skids. A tank cannot do that. <laughs> Also, there were instances, again, going back to World War One, when they were demonstrating the first tanks, uh, they actually got the tank crew, they were actually told to go to the top of a hill and to just drop it over the end and to just stop there. They knew that the tank crew were likely to be knocked unconscious. That's exactly what happened. But after the whole demonstration, if that's the sort of the, the piece de resistance at the end, you know, the big crescendo, it's like, wow, they can do anything. Well, no, they can't do anything because the crew inside are still human. And if they get smashed again, steel they will be bludgeoned senseless again i guess a tank can catch a little bit of air but it's not good for the crew inside and it's certainly not a standard thing and as for the sort of screeching and skidding again technically a tank can do that on something like concrete wet concrete or something like that but uh, you know in muddy roads and general fields and and trackways and things like that no tanks were not skidding around the battlefields of world war ii but is this cool? Yes. Is this anime? Most definitely. We're having this period where there is a constant conversation going on about historians about re-examining history. You get some people who you realize, and I've mentioned this before, that there are eras where there was a colossal amount of bias towards a certain group or sometimes a condemnation of a certain type of group. And then historians go back and go, well, let's unpick that bias. It might be like a racial stereotype or something like that. And now let's actually look at what happens. And almost always you see it's more complicated than that. But you do get things that are still very, very contentious, like the American Civil War. You see... The weird thing about the American Civil War, unlike, say, the British Civil War, which is sometimes called the War of the Three Kingdoms. So there we go back to three kingdoms then. Multiple different names for the English Civil War, as it used to be called, is it happened a long time ago. But also it was pretty clear which side won. And it, and even though which side won, it then lost again. And, and so we get some hangovers like the continued improvement of power for the Parliament rather than the king. Anyway, so, so on and so forth. But you do get people in the South of America who are still very proud of their Confederate ancestors. And this is sort of slightly, it's understandable, it's also slightly problematic because people can be brave on any side. There were brave German soldiers in World War II. There were some amazingly gifted generals and tank commanders and things like that on the Nazi side of World War II. So you don't necessarily have to make the people all cowards, but you do have to absolutely accept the fact about what they stood for. And while there are some people with the American Civil War saying, it was all about states' rights. Well, yeah, but the states' rights that were particularly under argument weren't things like irrigation laws in Alabama. It was about slavery. It was about the fact that the South wanted to keep slaves 
And the North and all the other new territories didn't want that to be part of America. And so you end up with the 13th Amendment. Don't pretend that it wasn't about that. And indeed, you know, with the January 6th uprising and riot and violence that happened in the capital, it is worth remembering that during the US Civil War, they never got to Washington, D.C. An awful lot of the fighting, the, the actual gap between Richmond, Virginia, which was the capital of the Confederacy, and Washington, D.C., it can be measured in under 200 miles. They're not that far away from each other. And yet when you think of America, it's like, it's huge. Why was the Confederacy capital so close? And yet they never got to Washington, D.C. They tried, but the Battle of Gettysburg was in essence about, if, if they'd lost, then pretty much the next stop would have been Washington, but they never got there. And yet on January 6th, you had idiots with Confederate flags waving them around inside the rotunda of the Capitol, which is something that Robert E. Lee never got to do. And there are some people who are kind of gleeful about that. It's like, well, I'm sorry, that's insurrection. That is the literal definition of sedition because that's not the flag of the country. That's the flag of the people who tried to secede 150 years ago. So if you're with them, I'm sorry, you're the bad guy. Either that or you're just not American, so make a choice. And you know, when you had people literally tearing down the stars and stripes, the American flag, 50 stars for 50 states, and replacing it with either Confederate flags or Trump flags, I hate to break it to you, but Donald Trump is not a country. He is a person, okay? He is an American. So in which case he needs to be represented by the Stars and Stripes. You don't tear down the Stars and Stripes and replace them with something else if you're American. Uh, the last time this all happened in the capital was in 1814 when the British arrived and they kind of had a legitimate reason to start tearing things up because they weren't from the same country. I digress. So the point is there is always a bit of a battle going on about the remembrance of these things. And I obviously in the modern world with all this documentary of like video footage, social media, etc., there is going to be tons for future historians, if you like digital archeologists to actually wade through in terms of information. It's gonna be really interesting to see what they decide in a hundred years time. One of the mistakes that is happening right now is people are trying to get their view out first or think that if they type everything in caps lock capitals with exclamation points after every sentence, that that will be what's remembered. It won't. Historians just look at everything as a whole and come up with a solution. Anybody, any historian, I should say, that just comes up with what they want to come up with, they're a bad historian. Historians look at all the facts, assess everything equally, look at where the biases are, and try and find the middle ground to find what's closest to what actually happened, the real truth of the situation. And there's no doubt that Dynasty Warriors, Bladestorm and Valkyria Chronicles do not help with that truth, but they do help by starting the conversation about, hey, do you know anything about in China, the Three Kingdoms era? Do you know anything about in Europe, the Hundred Years War? Or do you know anything about World War II in Europe. You know, those sentences cover basically about 1,800 years of history on two different continents. So that's pretty good going from the, the sort of the runt of the litter of entertainment. Video games are apparently all about violence and I'm going to say, yeah, sometimes they can be, but on this occasion, they're actually teaching you history at the same time. There is one other thing I want to talk about all these games put together, but it's particularly prevalent in Valkyria Chronicles 4. And that is, as I've already said, 
we have a lot more information, visual information, factual, historical information, eyewitness accounts of something like World War II to something like ancient China. So with that in mind, there are still a few people alive today who were combatants, who were veterans from World War II. And with that in mind, it, it's still in the public conscience. There isn't really much debate apart from perhaps some of the more morally dubious people out there about whether Hitler was a good guy or a bad guy. He's clearly a bad guy. But if you like, what these video games are showing is that in essence, over time, as it stops becoming a common memory of the people, things die down a little bit. A good example of this might be something like Genghis Khan. Now, I actually have written a dissertation on Genghis Khan. He is a remarkable leader. He founded the second largest empire of all time. But there's also absolutely no doubt that his actions and his armies killed millions. Not thousands, I'm talking millions. And the sheer scale of destruction over such a wide area, not just China, but in the Middle East, and massacres out in Russia, and wars going on into places like Poland and Korea, you wouldn't have had that large-scale destruction and violence until arguably, again, World War II. But because this all happened, give or take, 800 years ago, there is if you like, a serious discussion about, okay, but was it necessarily a bad thing? You know, look at all the good he brought and blah, blah, blah. Now, I, I take the point, I take the argument, and I've been part of that debate. But whereas I sort of have a soft spot for Genghis Khan, if you turn around and say I have a soft spot for Adolf Hitler, that is worrying. And if you like, it does show you that over the decades and centuries, People don't remember the atrocities, they remember the victories and things like that. And so there has to be a worry about, in a hundred years time, is Adolf Hitler going to be talked about in the same way as somebody like Napoleon or Julius Caesar or Genghis Khan? And that's a real worry, because we can't forget the atrocities. And these atrocities are so well documented that any advantages the Nazis might have brought about, and there were scientific breakthroughs under the Nazi regime, but none of this should distract from the millions of people killed in genocide. So there is, if you like, a accidental sign here about how history becomes less political, less dripping in blood in, in the sense that people don't feel like they've got a personal vested interest in it as obviously the years roll by. Thanks very much for listening. As always, there'll be another podcast coming out soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 